now? Could you just raise your hands? Whatever your expression of love is to him, could you just do that right now? All over this house. I don't know if you feel what I feel, but God's glory, God's power, God's presence is in this room right now. We thank you, Lord, for what we feel. Mm. <laughs> thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that we could come into a place. You said where two or three would gather in your name. You promised that you would be here. Our only agenda, Lord, tonight, God, is you. You and you alone. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you for paying the price for our salvation while we were yet enemies and strangers. You did it, Lord. And we had, there was no reason, there was no cause, there was nothing that we could do for ourselves, but you did it for us. Even when we did not know us that we needed a savior. We're thankful for that tonight. How many of you are thankful tonight? Amen. Sister Neelan is going to meet right now with all the sixth grade girls. If you're in sixth grade and you're a young lady, she's going to meet with you this evening in the nursery. The rest of you are stuck in here with me. So thankful to be a part of a people that loves one another. Amen. I want you to think just for a moment. You can be seated. I want you to think just for a moment about all the people. Just keep playing, Ashton, if you don't mind. I'm sorry. He does such a great job. Amen. Lauren, I was on vacation. I listened. You did awesome. Michelle and I sat there. We wept. Proud of you. Thankful for the gift that is in you and Connor. Amen. Thankful for what you're doing. How many of you can just, in your mind, just for a moment, think about all the people who are in the circle of, in, of your influence that you're concerned about? Could you think about that? Just, can you think about that just for a moment? Family, close friends. What do you think that averages out to? 10, 15, 20? 30 people. I'm talking about people that you think about on a constant basis. Are you with me? Is, it, is, that, is that? How many of you are parents and you still have grown children and they still keep you up at night? Right? And so all of us have this group in our lives, this circle in our lives that we feel the weight of what goes on in their world. Right? Are you with me? Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that what you feel and I want you to multiply it by about four or 500 people. And not only the concern and the weight of what you feel from a family and a friend standpoint, but what the weight of that eternity feels like for four, five, 600 people. That's what your pastor, your pastor's wife, live with 24 hours a day seven days a week they may be away from this building they may be taking a trip whatever but they constantly feel that 
They wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. But let me tell you something. If you ever, if there's ever a time that you felt the need to support, to lift, and to pray for the people that are in the leadership over your life spiritually, it is in this day and time. Because the enemy does not give up. Are you with me? He didn't ask me to say any of this, but if you ever in your life have thought about them, loved them, cared about them, thought about praying for them, please do so now. Why? I'm going to tell you why. God is building something at TPC that we've never seen before. Are you with me? I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost. God is building something here and he's doing something here. And the doors are opening and people are coming. And there's more people coming that you've never seen before. And they're coming and you're not even going to know how they got here. But the Spirit is drawing them. I said the Spirit is drawing them. They're not going to look like you. They're not going to think like you. They're not going to vote like you. They're not going to dress like you. But you know what? They're coming because they've heard about a place that will love them, care about them, pray for them, build them up, encourage them, not judge them. I said they're coming. They're already coming. And there's even more that are coming. And don't think for one moment that the enemy doesn't realize it as well. So if there's a time that you can encourage them, pray for them, and lift them up and show your love to them. As we make this transition, I know we're all excited about going next door. But let me tell you something. There's still a lot of work to be done. And God is building something good at TPC. I believe that. I believe that. Do you believe that? Could you thank God for that right now? I believe that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And we're thankful to be a part of it. We're, we're, David and Michelle and Alex are thankful to, and Digby, we're thankful to be a part of it. I don't know if you know this, but now I have a four-legged furry adolescent living in my house. I told my wife yesterday, I said, it's like, how many of you have heard pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation? You've heard that before? You've been in church? Some of you are like, what is he talking about? It's okay. It's, it's all right. Digby is pre-trouble, mid-trouble, post-trouble. He's either getting ready to go into trouble, in the middle of trouble, or just coming out of trouble. That's how he lives his life. It's like having a toddler in the house. But I wouldn't, I love him, so it's a mess. But we're, we're thankful, and he's thankful. He better be thankful. He's living good. He's living large. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 2. Can we have a little fun tonight? Is that all right? 1 Corinthians 2. Two weeks ago, thank you, Brother Ashton. Two weeks ago, we kind of started this journey about re thinking life. Say that with me. Rethinking life. 
rethinking life. In other words, rethinking my life. All right? And so why would I rethink my life at 60 years old? Why would I rethink my life at 45 or rethink my life at 85? It's not rethinking like you're regretting. It's rethinking how you approach the rest of your life. Is that okay? And I don't know if you remember, but a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what? Defeating disappointment. Defeating disappointment. I want to kind of continue a little bit on that theme, but around the thinking part. Say this with me. If I change my thinking... Say it strong. I know it's Wednesday night, but say it strong. If I change my thinking, I will change my life. You believe that? If I change my thinking, I will change my life. The prophet Isaiah asked a very pivotal question in Isaiah 40. He says, who understands the mind? Everybody say the mind of the Lord. And so Paul comes along in 1 Corinthians 2.16 and he says this. He says, we can understand these things, these spiritual things, because now we have the mind of Christ. Everybody say the mind of Christ. So I want to talk to you uh, for a few minutes. We won't get through all of this. This will probably be part one of two. I want to talk to you about from this subject, learning to think like Jesus. You think that would be helpful? All right. You think, I think that would be helpful. Learning. Everybody say that with me. Learning to think like Jesus. What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? I believe that since we are, we've spent five weeks on being a new creation in Christ. I believe that since we are a new creation in Christ, we can have the same thought process as Jesus. Amen. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. We can have the same attitude as Jesus, and we can have the same reactions, all right? But we can't become Christ-like if we do not begin to learn to think like Jesus. Are you with me? What does having the mind of Christ look like? I want to give you some characteristics tonight. They're going to be on the screen. Hopefully, you've picked up the notes as you came in. Number one, we're going to jump into this. When I learn to think like Jesus, when I have the mind of Christ, number one, I know exactly who I am. I am not confused about my identity. There's a lot of things going on in the world that have to do with identity. The world is literally going through an identity crisis. But Jesus was never confused about his identity. So if I'm going to think like Jesus, then I know to know exactly who I am. If I sit down with almost every single person in this room, especially those of you who are under the age of 40, especially those of you who are under the age of 30, at the root cause of most of your problems, it wouldn't take me very long to discover that at the root cause of most of your problems is number one, you do not know your purpose, you do not understand who you are, and you're having an identity crisis. If we ever discover who we are, why we're created, why God made us, what purpose he put inside of us, everything else in our life will begin to fall into place. Jesus certainly had no doubt about his identity. 
In fact, over and over in the New Testament, Jesus defines himself to other people. I've just put this shortly as a list here. In John 6, 35, Jesus says what? I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15 and 1, I am the true vine. Mark 10, I am the son of God. Over and over, Jesus is identifying why. He is letting us know. He's letting his audience know and us know that there is no doubt about his identity. There's a lot of debate in the world, in, in especially the theological world. If Jesus, the question always arises, especially if you go to seminary or you do any kind of theological work, the question always arises and is debated, did Jesus truly understand in his humanity that he was God manifest in the flesh? I want to help you with that. Yes. Yes. Over and over and over, every time that he referred to himself as the I am, we're going to do a series on this. Every time that he referred himself to the I am, he was literally referring back to Exodus chapter 3, where Moses asked God, he said, God, he said to the Israelites, who do I tell has sent me? And God told him, I am who I am has sent me. So every time Jesus, this is what gets him crucified. Every time Jesus shows up and says, I am whatever, or I am so-and-so he is literally referring to himself as the beginningless and endless creator of the universe there's no way around it over and over he refers to himself as the son of man it is a direct connection to daniel chapter 7 it is a prophecy of the messiah who is to come if jesus knew anything he knew exactly who he was there's a lot of things in modern culture that portray Jesus is confused about his identity, but there is no doubt that he did not know who he was. So we must understand, ladies and gentlemen, look at your neighbor and tell them this. God wants you to know your true identity. Where does my identity come from? My identity comes from the one who created me. My identity comes from the one who created me. Just like I told you a couple weeks ago, what determines something's worth? What is created and what it's paid for. God created me. Jesus paid for me. Are you with me? No one else can tell you your true identity because they did not create you. Only God made you, and so only he can tell you why he created you. And he did not create you without purpose. Your parents, your grandparents, your aunt or uncle may look at you and say you are a mistake. You should have never been born. But let me tell you something. If you were born, you were born on purpose. God does not make accidents. He does not make mistakes. Why is this important? Because if you don't know who God made you to be, you're going to fall into a lot of traps and you are going to waste your life first if you don't know who god made you to be other people will force you into what they think you should be are you with me and it may be well-meaning people it may be your parents right it could be your spouse 
It could be a boyfriend or girlfriend, but you can be manipulated and shaped by other people's expectations. The only problem is they did not create you. They are not your God. Number two, the second thing that's going to happen, it's not in your notes, but you should write this down. You'll end up living a fake life. You're always pretending. You're always faking it. If you don't understand your identity and your purpose, you're always going to wear a mask because you don't know who you really are. And that leads to the third thing. Confused identity always creates stress in our life. Stress happens when I try to be something that I'm not. When I learn to think like Jesus and I have the mind of Christ, I know exactly who I am. Why? Because Jesus knew exactly who he was. And if he knew exactly who he was, he created you to be in his image. Amen. You are not created in the, things, the image of the things of this world. You were created in the image of God. That should be the foundation of everything that you, if you struggle with identity, and I know that a lot of people do, I have done that in my past, and there was some times that I had to wrestle with that, and there were some times that I had to live parts of this out where I struggled with the stress of trying to be something that I was not. Amen? And we've all struggled with that. Anybody? And we've all struggled with that in church. Are you with me? Are you following me? Amen. But I don't have to live that way. Why? God did not create me to live that way. He knows exactly who I am. He knows exactly where I'm at. He hasn't lost track of me. Amen. It may feel like God is silent, but God is not silent. God is exactly where he's always been. He is with you. You got to understand. I, I must know. Everybody say, I must know my identity the second thing that you have to learn to think like jesus to have the mind of christ is not only who i am but i must know god's purpose in my life why jesus knew his purpose for his life he knew exactly who he was and he knew exactly what he was called to do he knew his purpose his vision his goals they were crystal clear john eight fourteen. jesus says this i know where i came from and i know where i'm going do we know that? Let me say that. Let me ask you that again. Do we know that? Do we know? Most of us know where we came from. Just a lot of us don't know where we're going. Jesus knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. Jesus settled his purpose very early in his life. The Bible tells us at the very age of 12, Mary and Joseph were taking a journey and all of a sudden they looked up and Jesus has disappeared. They can't find him. They go back to the temple in Luke 249. Jesus at the age of 12 is in the temple teaching the religious leaders. They go back to him and they say, what are you doing? Why have you stayed here? You knew that we went on. And he says, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? What is he saying? I know exactly what my purpose is. I came here on a mission and the mission of redemption is my purpose. To preach and to spread the message of the gospel and the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus' ministry, we do know, expands, obviously, and it becomes more and more specific, announcing several very specific purposes in his life. We find such things in John 10 and 10. He says, my purpose is to give life and life to its fullest. That's knowing not only who he was, but also knowing his purpose. In fact, even right up to his death on the cross, Jesus' mission was very clear. He was troubled in his humanity. And he said, Father, save me from this hour. But if it's not your purpose, if it's not your will, what was he saying? I still know who I am. And he told Pilate and he told the Pharisees and he told all the religious rulers, this is the purpose for which I have come to this earth. They didn't understand it, but now 2,000 years later, we do understand it. The purpose that he came for this earth, to this earth was to lay down his life for our salvation. Amen? So he knew who he was. He knew his purpose. The third thing that I must do if I'm going to have the mind of Christ is I must be aware that God is always with me. Are you with me? God is always with me. John 16, 32, Jesus says, I'm not alone because the Father is always with me. You know that the greatest antidote to loneliness is thinking like Jesus, having the mind of Jesus. If you do that, you will be able to say, like Jesus, I am not alone because I know that the Father is always with me. And when I feel alone, because we can be in a crowd like this tonight, and we can still feel alone. Uh, but if we will shift our thinking. I said if we will shift our thinking. Uh, with the understanding. Uh, that no matter how alone I may feel. God has not left me. Uh, no matter how dark the moment is. No matter how sinful and ugly and shameful I may feel uh, God has not left me no matter how weak I may feel no matter how sick I be in my body no matter how much confusion may be swirling around and fear may be trying to intimidate who I am God still has not left me why I have a promise and he said I'll never leave you uh, and I'll never forsake you we gotta hold on to that promise Amen? Amen. Jesus understood that I am not alone. Why? Because I am here to do my father's business. I am here to do what God has called me to do. How can we stay aware of God's constant care? The answer is this, ladies and gentlemen. You should write this down. The way that we stay aware of God's constant presence is through prayer and worship. Prayer and worship is not something that we just do on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Jesus, listen, I want you to hear me very carefully. Jesus, God in the flesh, made prayer a daily habit. If anybody, I figured, didn't need to pray, surely it was Jesus. I mean, face it, he's got a direct line. Right? But Jesus, what was he trying to do? He was trying to teach us a pattern. Just like when he was baptized. Did he need to be baptized? No, he was without sin. What was he trying to do? He was trying to teach us a pattern. And his pattern was to daily withdraw himself 
and pray. Luke 5, 16, it's in your notes. Jesus often, I want you to circle that word there, often slipped away to be alone so that he could pray. We all should know, I think, what often means. It means literally more than just once in a lifetime. It literally, <laughs> that was a joke. It's okay to laugh. It is a habit. And Jesus' prayer life was habitual. It was regular. It was continual. He often, the Bible says, slipped away. And it says it more than once that Jesus would withdraw himself. What was he doing? He was withdrawing himself to commune with the Father. Why? Because he was always aware of God's presence. I have a question for you tonight. How much better is your day when you pray? Come on, can I get a testimony? I don't care if it's five minutes or five hours. How much better is your day when you pray? If our prayer life would be defined by the word often rather than random, right? That's how our prayer life is usually defined by random. But it should be defined by what? Often. Let me summarize what I'm trying to say here. We miss the gifts of God when we fail to dwell in the presence of God. Let me say that again. We miss the gifts of God, what God is wanting to give to us, when we fail to be in the presence of God. If I'm too busy for God, I am out of God's will. And that means I'm too busy. Why? It is not God's will for me to be too busy for God. And I often find out that if I go through a season in my life where I'm too busy to commune with God, God allows something to come into my life that slows me down. Am I right? How many of you testify? You know what I'm talking about. Why? Because we cannot do what God is calling us to do. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're in a fight for your identity and your purpose, you're not going to find it in the things of this world. You're not going to find it on TikTok. You're not going to find it on Instagram. You're not going to find it on Netflix. You're not going to find it in Amazon. You're not going to find it there. The only way that you are going to have the security of understanding your power, your purpose, and God, the way that God created you and why he created you is if you learn to dwell in the presence of God amen we 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 have to we have to get a hold of that we actually get more done in a productive way when we make time for prayer too many times we think that we don't have time to pray when it's actually the opposite what we should actually say to us does we we should actually say to ourselves on a daily basis no i am actually so busy that i need to make time to pray amen pastor just preached it on sunday he and i'll go back to what he said i must find time to ask god for his will concerning my day and if god doesn't speak to me definitively if there's no booming voice if there's no prophetic presence then what do i do i keep doing what god has always asked me to do loving god and loving people amen 
There's so many people, and, and I know, I, I went through this in my life too, growing up in church. It's like God's will is a mystery for our life. How many of you have said it, heard it, or thought it? I wish I knew God's will. Raise your hand, because I want to be in good company. If you're, if you're not raising your hand, we'll have prayer after service. All right? We've either thought it, said it, or heard it. Right? Let me help you. Are you, are you ready? I'm going to give you God's will for your life. Are you ready? Therefore, go into all the world, preaching the gospel, making disciples. I said making disciples. I'm paraphrasing, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't understand thing about God's will, it boils down to that bottom line. All of us were created with the purpose to make disciples. Disciple making is not Pastor and Sister Neeland's responsibility. Disciple making is not Sister June and all the super spiritual saints that you think that's their responsibility to teach Bible studies and make disciples. No, Jesus made it very clear. It's every single person's responsibility. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Go into the world and make disciples preaching the gospel. I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher. Just let your life live the gospel out in front of somebody. So what do we do? We keep going back to what God has always called us to do, to love God and to love people. But we must take time. We must have times of quiet. And let me tell you something. This, this is incredibly important for the world that we live in. We live in a loud, noisy world. Would you agree? There's a lot of voices. We take in more, I didn't bring my phone up here, thank the Lord. I, we, we take in more information on a daily basis than the majority of the world has ever taken in in its, in its lifetime. And you know what? Hear me very carefully. You were not created to take in that much information and that much negativity into your life. God didn't create you to do that. Not that you're not brilliant enough to understand it. God did not create you to do that. Why? He created you to spend time in his presence. And if you're going to add that time, then you've got to do what? Give something else up. The, French, the famous French philosopher, pastors quoted it a couple weeks ago, said most of man's problems comes from his inability to sit still. I would say this. Most of men's problems come from his inability to sit still and be quiet. Psalms 46 says this, be still and know that I am God. Almost 40 something years of my life, I always thought that prayer and I have incredible praying parents. I have incredible examples of prayer that have gone before me. Almost 40-something years of my life, I've always felt to be spiritual, I must always either be praying or praying in the Spirit at every moment that I was in a prayer time. And if I wasn't praying loud enough and hard enough, then I really wasn't going to get a breakthrough that I needed. Anybody? Maybe I'm the only one. But I figured it out a few years ago. Sometimes the most spiritual thing I can do 
is set in the quiet and say nothing. And listen to what God is trying to tell me over my own words. But we can't do that if we're afraid of the quiet. And the reason that we do not spend time in quiet and being still before God is we're afraid of the silence. Because the world has programmed us to be noisy is to be busy and to be productive. And it has creeped into the church. And to, so to be productive in the church, we've always got to be busy saying something, doing something, listening to something. That's not how God created relationship. Are you with me? Are you with me? I'm not going to stay there. But we must be aware that we have to be still. Everybody say be still. I want to give you a challenge because I'm not going to finish this. I want to give you a challenge. Are you, are you ready for this challenge? I want you on Thursday, sometime in your Thursday, I advise you to start early. I want you to spend 15 minutes in total silence. 15 minutes in total silence. That means not total silence looking at Facebook. Or TikTok. Total silence. No devices, nothing. Take your Bible out, lay it in front of you, and be silent before the Lord. I guarantee you that you'll get more out of that 15 minutes than you will anything you do the rest of the day. Can you take that challenge? How many are going to take that challenge? Don't lift your hand if you're not going to take the challenge. 15 minutes of being still. Why? Because if we will be still before God, God can download into us his purpose and his plan for our day. And we'll be a lot more productive on Thursday than we were today. Are you with me? Are you with me? Fourth thing, and I'm going to leave you with this. When I have the mind of Christ, and this is the only re- way you can do this if, if you do what I just was talking about, being quiet before the Lord. If I have the mind of Christ, I will let God help me choose my words. Jesus said this. I have not spoken on my own. Instead, the Father who sent me tells me what I should say and how I should shape. Listen to what he says. When I speak, I do not speak on my own volition. I only speak what the Father has sent me to say. I want to leave you with this as the musicians come with this question tonight. Do you think we would have better relationships, better marriages, better interactions between husband, wife, sons, and daughters if we would ask God to tell us what to say and how to say it. Let's stand. Would we have less conflict with the people in our life if we let God tell us what to say and how to say it? How many of you have ever found out that it's most of the time when you get in trouble, it's because of what? Your mouth. What is the antidote to fixing that? Learning to think and speak like Jesus. When you have the mind of Christ, God can tell you what to say, 
and how to say it. There's a verse in the Bible that I learned when I first started in ministry. I'm paraphrasing it because I paraphrase it every time I walk to a podium. Usually every time I go into a day, especially if I know that I'm going to have meetings that day or going to be doing counseling that day, whatever those moments are. It's in the Psalms. And I'm paraphrasing, so I know I'm going to misquote it, but I'm paraphrasing it for David Grigsby. And this is what I pray. Lord, put an angel at my tongue, a guard at my my heart. Do not let me speak anything that's going to be against your truth, your word, and your purpose for this day, for this meeting, for this service, for this Bible study. I wonder if we learned to pray that prayer, how much more productive our day would be. How much more productive our marriages would be. Men, how many of you have wished that God had kept you from saying a few things? Are you with me? I called my wife today and I said, where are you? She said, and I could hear all the chaos in the background. I heard the Alex chaos. I heard the Digby chaos. I said, are you coming? And she says, I'm trying to get everybody dressed. And she's like, what do you need? And I was like, I, I wanted to shout, I need a handkerchief. <laughs> Wisdom said, baby, can you just bring me a handkerchief? Right? I wonder what would happen if we learned God's wisdom and let him download what he wants to say. I wonder if we walked into our day tomorrow after you take your 15-minute challenge in the morning and coming out of that 15 minutes and say, God, could you just download what I need to say? How many of you are facing a difficult situation somewhere in your life right now? Something that's chaotic. Anybody? Could we just pray right now at the end of this Bible study tonight? God, could you just give us the wisdom? Could you give us your thoughts? Come on, all over this house. The presence of the Lord has been in this place all night long. He's still here tonight. God wants to download things into your life and your mind, your spirit, that you, could, you can't even spend hours on a computer trying to figure out. God can download it. God can download into your mind projects. God can download into you, your mind strategies of wealth. God could download into your mind words that would bring peace to chaos and to conflict. Can we just lift our hands right now and say, Lord, speak through us as we go into this day tomorrow. We go in the rest of our week tomorrow. Hallelujah. Speak through us, God. Give us your wisdom, your understanding, your thoughts, Lord. We thank you for your presence tonight, God. Hallelujah. Worthy of our praise, God, tonight.
going to dismiss, but could you do me a favor over the next three days, four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, could you just pray a simple prayer every day? Lord, let me intersect. Let me come into contact with someone that needs to hear the message of the gospel. Could I, could, Lord, could you put somebody in my path that I could invite to church on Sunday? We believe what God, do you believe what God's doing at TPC? Let's invite somebody this weekend to discover what God's doing at TPC. We love you. We'll see you Sunday.